0: we're more afraid of standing out than we are of success we're afraid of being different and what we're not saying is like well do those people's opinions actually matter
1: it's a good question and it's one of many that you might need to ask yourself if you find yourself grappling with the rewards and challenges that success brings And that's the kind of thing that Laura gassner Oding writes about in her latest book, Wonder Hell. Why success doesn't feel like it should, and what to do about it. This is Timeless Leadership, where we explore what makes extraordinary people tick. We look for the universal truths that will help make us better versions of ourselves. Hi, I'm Scott Monty, and welcome back, or welcome to Timeless Leadership. This is the first episode of our fourth season. I'm so glad that you could be back with us here. As I said in the season trailer, it's going to be a little bit different around here this time, and I'm going to need your help because every other episode, it's going to be shorter, it's just going to be me, but I'm going to answer some questions that you send in. Could be feedback, could be suggestions for new people to have on the show, or it could just be some kind of challenge that you're grappling with. So get ready for this. Okay. I'd like your feedback. I'd like you to email me at timelesspod at scottmonte.com. That's timelesspod at scottmonte.com. Send me a question and uh, I will read them on the air and try to answer them the best I can. We'll, we'll see what kind of challenges you throw at me and how I am able to grapple with them. So strap in, get ready for an amusement park-like ride. That is Wonder Hell in today's episode. If you've been listening to Timeless Leadership since season one, you'll know today's guest, Laura Gassner-Odding. But if you don't, here's the skinny. Laura quit law school to join a fledgling presidential campaign. One that eventually landed her in the white house where she helped shape AmeriCorps. She left a leadership role at a respected national search firm to expand a tech startup. And then she founded, ran and sold her own global search firm. Her first book that we discussed on the show was Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. And it showed the importance of finding consonants in our lives to match who we are with what we do. And now, her latest book, Wonder Hell, has followed what she called the unexpected success of Limitless. When she began to ask herself, Well, if I could do that, what else might be possible? And in that moment... She was in Wonder Hell. Hey, LGO. Welcome back to Timeless Leadership.
0: Hello, Scott. It's so good to talk to you.
1: Well, it's been far too long. And I should note for our most dedicated listeners, they probably don't need to know this, but the newer listeners do. You were the very first guest on Timeless Leadership. I feel like we've gone full circle here.
0: I like to say that I set the bar.
1: <laughs> <laughs> nicely done, and it was, a, it was I said it really bar.
0: low, but I set the bar. <laughs>
1: wow! Well, well, you and I have met at bars before, so I can I can appreciate that. Um, Your previous book, Limitless, How to Ignore Everybody, Carve Your Own Path, and Live Your Best Life. I mean, that was just a runaway success. And as things often happen with first books, they lead to a second book. So that's what we're here to talk about, Wonder Hell. Why success doesn't feel like it should and what to do about it. So I want to start with a very basic question. Um, Thinking about success... Why do we have such hang-ups about success? Why do we have a problem with it? Why, why do we have a hard time defining it?
0: Oh, well, those are a lot of questions. <laughs> so I think, you know, we have a hard time defining it because definitions of success are handed to us from birth, from pre-birth. Right. When we think about uh, when we think about gender reveal parties and boys are blue and girls are pink and it starts from the moment we breathe our first breath of air that we're supposed to be a certain way and that, and that perfect looks a certain way and success looks a certain way. So I think we have a hard time with success because we're trying to shoehorn ourselves into everybody else's version of everybody else's definition of success. And we spend all of our lives filling in all the check boxes on somebody else's list, on somebody else's path, to somebody else's def- definition, only to get there and to feel like, well, I'm at the top But the top of what? Because all the boxes are full, but I still feel empty. So I think that's why we have a hard time with the definition. But why do we never feel good about it is because we never quite get to the end. We're told after we're shoehorned into this one definition of success, that success is a final destination, that once we are successful, we'll be happy. Everything will be easy. It'll be great. It'll be you know simple, easy money. And then we get there. And every time we achieve a level of success, we look out over the horizon and we see that there's even more out there. Not in this bigger, better, faster, more you know—more way, you gotta keep crushing it, you gotta keep growing. But in this, every time we achieve something, we see a version of ourselves that we never even knew existed. We see a possibility that we never even knew was available to us and in that moment, we get excited. We get curious. We get interested. We go, ooh, maybe I want more, right? So it's exciting and it's amazing and it's humbling to succeed. But also in that moment when we see more, it's also anxiety provoking and stressful and uncertain and full of doubt and anxiety and imposter syndrome and and, and exhaustion and burnout. So it's wonderful, but it's also hell. It's wonder hell.
1: (laughs) I love that. I, I love that you coined that phrase, um, and and that you define it so succinctly in a way that I think anybody can can grapple with. And, and I think the challenge for a lot of people when they look up to leaders is, oh, uh, that person must have it all together. She really knows what she's doing. You know, this person seems to you know, be able to balance everything because uh, you know he's he's got so many outward signs of success. But it seems like the way that you've written about it, that Wonder Hell is pretty much a universal thing.
0: I did not expect it. I will tell you, like, the biggest surprise of the last few years of research on this book was that every single person I interviewed experienced and is experiencing Wonder Hell all the time. And the delight that I have is that whenever I explain the concept of the book – The person I'm explaining it to turns to me and goes, oh, my God, I think I'm in Wonder Hell, too. And I'm like, yes, I know. That's the conceit. We all are. (laughs) Surprise. But, you know, I started, as you know, I started doing the interviews for this book mostly as a way just to fill time during the pandemic I was going online every day to my community at 10 a.m and I was doing like a Facebook live and then I just kind of got sick of my own voice it took a few weeks and I was like I'm done I'm done I'm just sick so I thought well I'll just talk to my friends and I talked to you right I talked to lots of people at 10 a.m on a Tuesday uh, about the moment in their lives when everything changed now I wasn't able to use your story in Wonder Hell, because of course I used your story in limitless but my listeners got to get An updated version of where you are today, which is wonderful. But you, of course, introduced me to Alan Mulally, who I did interview for Wonder Hell. So I did these interviews with everyone from people who saved Boeing and Ford Motor Company, Alan Mulally, to everyday people like you and me. And what amazed me amongst the hundred. Glass ceiling shatterers, Olympic medalists, uh, uh, first of, uh, startup unicorns, like all of these incredible people is that every single one of them at every age and at every stage experience the same burnout, uncertainty, imposter syndrome, anxiety, all of that stuff. Like every single person, whether they're whether they were starting their second billion dollar company, which is just a hilarious sentence to say, right? Their second billion dollar company, <laughs> to if they're standing on top of the ski slope with a gold medal in their pocket from the last run, worrying if they can even if they even belong on this run for the next gold medal, right? Every single one of them felt exactly the same way every single day. But the difference is that instead of hearing these voices as limitations telling them to stop and to go back and to slow down, they heard them as invitations telling them that they were on the right track. And I just became so fascinated with this very simple mindset shift of I'm not good enough yet. I don't belong here yet. I don't know what I'm doing yet. But isn't it exciting that I get to spend time figuring it out? And their ability to, to embrace their ambition and renegotiate the relationship with all the various emotions that came at the moments of excitement and worry were what allowed them to become the very best version of themselves in everything that they did.
1: Hmm. And you know, it's, it's interesting because I think we often hear um, people talk about the fear of failure. Yeah, it's a very common kind of thing and people are paralyzed because they're going to fail and I think what we all learn along the way having failed a number of times myself is that it's not the end of the world um, you 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 pick yourself up and get back uh, on the horse if you've fallen off and and there's a path forward but there's a there's a flip side to that that I wanted to explore with you and that is uh, it's it's also kind of a a stopping point for some people, and that is, what about fear of success? How does fear of success hold people back?
0: I think that people don't necessarily think about success in the same way. So I get asked a lot to speak to entrepreneurs, and during the Q&A, there's always somebody in the back who eventually will raise their hand and say, well, okay, so you've been an entrepreneur, Laura. What would you do if you failed? So I turn the question around and I'm always like, uh, so you're here at this entrepreneur conference or this entrepreneur program, this entrepreneurship class. What will you do if you fail? And they always know, right? The answer is like, I don't know. I'll, um, I'll, I'll go get another job. I'll be a cubicle jockey for another year before I like write my next business plan. Like they always know what they're going to do. Like I've saved some money. I've got whatever, whatever their plan B is. They always have it. So then I ask, okay, well, what will you do if you succeed? And they never know. It's always crickets. I've asked this question hundreds of times, and they never have an answer. Yeah. And what I say to them is, okay, well, you know what plan B is. Like, you know what you will do if you fail. I suggest you spend some time thinking about plan A. Because I don't think that people are afraid of failure. I think they just haven't imagined it. And so when – or sorry, I don't think that they're afraid of success. I think they haven't imagined it. And so when success comes, they don't know how to take advantage of it. There are – um, I write about this in Wonder Hell about, you know, in the chapter on luck, which you and I talked about in the the first uh, the first time I was on your wonderful podcast. And one of the things that I thought was super interesting is that I, I, I wanted to learn about manifestation because I thought manifestation was like hippie voodoo nonsense you know like let's all light candles and sing songs type of thing and it turns out that there's actual science behind it and the science is this our brains pick up 11 million bits of data every single second 11 million bits of data, right? So like, what's the sound of my voice? What word's going to come next? What am I thinking about the last thing she said? What's the temperature of the room? How does my butt feel sitting in this chair? How does the sweater feel on my body, right? Like, what is the green of the trees outside? Like, we're picking up, constantly picking up data. But our brains can only digest 50 of those bits. So 11 million bits are being hurled at us, and we can only actually intercept 50, And what's interesting to me is that when we are trying to figure out What it is we want to accomplish. If we haven't thought about what success looks like, what when opportunity arises, what that opportunity looks like, how we're going to take advantage of it, then our brains don't actually pick up those bits of data out of the 11 million bits that are coming our way. It's picking up all the other bits of data. It's like it's picking up the data that's, uh, you know, that, that that is confirmation bias that things are going to go wrong, that it's going to be scary, that it's going to be hard, all of that stuff. So I don't know if it's a fear of success success so much as it's just not even conceiving what success could look like so that we don't take advantage of it when it appears to us. Hmm.
1: Uh, Well, I think that's a a really interesting way to look at it because, I mean, uh, as you kind of set up before, so often we are uh, defining our success by what other people tell us. So when it comes to defining our own success, we're kind of like, "Mm, I don't know what it's supposed to look like. I, I guess I'll know it when I see it.
0: We're more afraid of standing out than we are of success. We're afraid of being different. We're afraid of what if I'm the me that I want to be and people don't like the me who I am when I'm the me who I really want to be. And what we're not saying is like, well, do those people's opinions actually matter? I'm not so sure.
1: Yeah. Well, this is exactly what you got at in Limitless. How do we ignore everybody? Exactly. But, But you also talked in Wonder Hell about burning bridges. What's that about?
0: (laughs) I am a firm believer that goodbye is a gift sometimes. There are people in our lives who make us feel badly when we are the people who we want to be. There are people in our lives who don't like us when we grow bigger than the smaller box that they were used to us being in. Right? There are people in our lives who are jealous, who are Uh, not very abundant minded, right? Their scarcity and their jealousy and their scorekeeping keeps us down. Maybe we don't dream as much around them. Maybe we are not our biggest, fullest selves around them. So we're not exploring the outer edges of what we can become. And maybe it's just that I'm 52. So I've now been through the FU 40s. But there is a point in, in one's life, I think, where you just decide that if the People in your life are not adding to your life. They are subtracting from it. And I don't know that there are many people who are just neutral. I think that there are either people are bringing energy or they're taking energy. And I just, being 52 and having, as you know, been very sick in 2021, not sure if I would see 2022, you just sort of lose patience for the people that are actively consciously or even subconsciously taking energy from you. And that's where I think sometimes it's okay to burn bridges. Like it takes a lot for me to get to a point where I'm like, they're dead to me. You've got to be a... Bad actor, not just like negative, but like lying, st- cheating, stealing, actively talking badly about me for no reason. There are plenty of people who talk badly about me for a good reason, and they're fine, they can stay. <laughs> but the ones who talk badly about me for no reason, um, or who are, who spread uh, misinformation to make themselves look better by making other people look worse, I just, I'm just – I don't have time for it anymore. It's like life is too short. And so that's when I think it's okay to burn some bridges because mostly the people who have the drama and the scarcity and the jealousy, they'll just find someone else to bundle burn with if it's not you.
1: Yeah, that is true. They they always seem to attract each other.
0: They do. They attract each other. And, and you know, and for them, drama is currency. And yeah. I don't – I just it's 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 not it's not it's not useful and uh, you know I was talking I was actually talking to my therapist about this just yesterday and uh, he said that you know we were talking about introversion and extroversion and how people uh, sort of find their way when they when 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 they're not sure who they should be and he said that when he was in medical school he was uh, very shy very introverted he still seems to be shy and introverted and, and I, I think you and I both have some of that so I you know I I. I respect that, but he said that he he looked around and he looked at the most popular kid in uh in in the class, and he was trying to figure out how that kid was so popular, and what he realized is that that kid never said a bad word about anybody. He might have thought bad things about people, he'd make some eye contact every once in a while, which made you know that he knew that that person was a fool, but he never actually said anything badly about anybody, and my therapist said, and so I just decided that I would just emulate him rather than being the one who always knew everything, who always had to be right and alone, I decided I would emulate him. And I thought that was such a fascinating thing, because A, it takes a lot of self-awareness. That takes like the willingness to understand that you're not behaving well, the willingness to want to change, the self-awareness to understand what's wrong with you, to see what's right with other people, to have the humility to want to learn and imitate and emulate. And I just thought that was sort of a fascinating thing. But I think that if you don't get rid of the negative in your life, I think you start to emulate that even subconsciously.
1: Yeah. Uh, No question. No question. I think, you know, as we go through wonder hell here, as we go through the book, every single bit about this requires a healthy dose of self-awareness. I mean, let's face it. If you're not self-aware, don't buy this book. Um, which, I'm sorry. I don't want to. I don't want to spike sales for you uh, at all. Um, I was going to
0: say, come on. I'll take all the not self aware. No, if you are not self aware, you should buy Tasha Yurek's book Insight because she is the number one thinker on self awareness, and that is an excellent book on self awareness. And after you have read and that, then you can come read Wonder Hell.
1: Exactly, and then buy Wonder Hell. Um, <laughs>
0: In which I quote Tasha Urich, actually, on some self-awareness.
1: That, that's right. That's right. Well, I mean, it's, it's such a, a foundational element of not only leadership, but just life in general. Um, so one of the things that struck me, Laura, is that when you think about... You know what success looks like when you think about what adulthood looks like when you think about what a leadership position looks like. No one tells you that there is no roadmap for how to do this. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, Not I only that, s-
0: they, they give you other roadmaps.
1: Well, they distract you with
0: the wrong roadmaps.
1: <laughs> far from helpful, right? Yeah, yes. Um, as a matter of fact, I saw something online the other day where someone said, um, When I was a child, no one told me that adulthood meant that I was going to have to figure out what to cook for dinner every single night for the rest of my life. <laughs> um, just one of these unexpected things. But in, in wonder Hell what you've done, and, and I love the concept here, the whole thing is laid out as an amusement park. And when you think about the ups and downs of life and the unexpected things uh, and, and, and everything that goes along with it, it makes a lot of sense. And what you've done at the very beginning of the book is you've given us a visual map of what Wonder Hell is made up of. It includes Impostor Town and Doubtsville and Burnout City. And then you have the different rides within each one. So first of all, I'm interested in how you actually came up with this concept. And then I wondered if we might take a stroll through the park together.
0: Sure. So- all credit for the concept of the book goes to Rahaf Harfouche, uh, my brilliant uh, friend. I believe you know her as well. She wrote Hustle and Float. And she's my work wife. She and I speak every Tuesday morning. We have she, – she and I met like – over a 15 minute coffee while I was heading out of LA and she was heading into LA. I live in Boston, she lives in France. We just happened to be in the same place at the same time. And I was like, you're interesting, we should keep talking. And so we did every Tuesday for like a month. And then the pandemic happened. And suddenly we've been talking every Tuesday for Three years, and so she's been sort of with me throughout the creation of the book. This book now, Limitless was very easy because Limitless was, you know, we all want success to feel better, but it doesn't. Here's why. Here's the formula you need, and here is the you know changes you can make in your work, your career, your life in order to get there. Easy, linear, fine. But Wonder Hell was harder because everybody experiences different emotions of Wonder Hell. Dealing with uh, you know burnout and perfectionism and anxiety and uncertainty and all of it. At different points in their career. And so it was very hard to come up with a linear path. And so Rahaf said, well, it's kind of like an amusement park where you walk in and it's like, you might want to go to a, one ride or one town before the other, and you just need a map that's like, you are here. And it's just like Imposture Town, Burnout City, Doubtsville, Jealousy Junction. We had like 12 different town names in the first. but But it was her idea to make it like a create your own adventure. Like it's an amusement park that sometimes you want to go to Adventureland before Small World or vice versa, right? If you've got small kids, you go to Small Small World, but if you've got teenagers, you're never getting on that ride ever again, right? So so it was really her idea. And I thought it was such a perfect metaphor because we go to an amusement park thinking it's going to be super fun. We're going to ride all the rides. We're going to eat all the food. It's going to be amazing. And then it's three o'clock in the afternoon and we're sunburned and we're dehydrated. And those teenagers and those little kids are whining and the corn dog and the cotton candy are arguing in our stomach. And the last thing we want to do is get on that roller coaster that we're not even sure we wanted to get on in the first place, but we're stuck in the line. And so I just thought it was a good metaphor for success, because everyone says success is going to be so fun. You just have to get there. And then you get there and you're like, wait a minute, why do I feel nauseated?
1: (laughs) Uh, Full disclosure, I hate roller coasters, uh, but I love the book. So do I. (laughs) (laughs) Of course you do.
0: I hate roller um, coasters, and hilariously, there was, uh, you know, I, some of the folks from GMA were like, "Let's put you on a roller coaster with Robin Roberts," and I'm like, "I can't, I'll puke on her."
1: <laughs> well, now that you mention that, and we'll have a link to this in the show notes. Um, you appeared on Good Morning America, and they actually built a set with the graphics from your book. I have never seen anything like that in my life.
0: I haven't either, and. I have to tell you, it was, I mean, not to sound like that person, but it was my fourth time on the show. Sorry, I have to say that Man. sentence for this whole story to make sense. <laughs> it was my fourth time on the show. Um, and I wasn't nervous at all because I've now been on the show three times. I've been on the show, you know, with with, with Amy Robach in person when Limitless came out. Then I did a, a virtual Zoom thing with Robin uh, during the pandemic. Then I was in the studio just three months earlier with Robin again. So finally meeting her in person. So I was like, this is great. I'm like, I'm ready. It's good. And then I walked and I thought they were just going to be these like A couple of rented um, funhouse mirrors for us to do the like imposter syndrome section. And then I walk in and I see the set, which is their props guys, apparently like a week earlier coming out and seeing the the little six foot tall funhouse mirrors and being like, oh, no, we can do better than that. And they built these two, in like, eight and a half foot mirrors with all of the graphics and even even the markers on the floor of where we were supposed to stand. Because, of course, there's choreography because we have to stand in front of the mirrors and appear larger, appear smaller in these Funhouse mirrors. She has to stand. I have to stand. We move her like do-si-do basically on the stage. Even the markers they made with the font from, you know, the, the Funhouse font from the book. and. And as soon as I walked in and, and they were still COVID testing at the time, I walked in, I got my COVID test and I looked to the left and I saw the stage. I'm just going to be very graphic here for a moment, but my stomach dropped out of my body even faster than the sweat dropped out of my, <laughs> my armpits. I was just like, oh my God. And suddenly I was nervous. And I, um, I kind of blacked out for the full four minutes of the segment at the end of which I turned to my younger son who had come with me and I said, um, so I think Robin said that she loved my book and he said, yeah. And I said, and I think Robin said that she loved my writing and he said, yeah. And I go, and I think Robin said that she loved me and he said, yeah. And I think, did I reply, I love you too? <laughs> He's like, yeah, mom, you did. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. So the whole thing is like four scripted minutes, like very tight, very scripted. And then right before you're about to go out on live television in front of four million people with the woman who you've idolized for 20 years, the producer who has worked with you for two months on every single word of the script goes, and don't forget, it's got to be four minutes. It's live TV. And Robin's gonna Robin. Good luck. And then you go out there and Robin spends the first 20 seconds completely off script and the whole last minute completely off script. And you're just like, oh, my God, I don't want to barf. And the whole time you're trying to, like, remember the lines. You got to bring it in for a landing. You can't be too long winded. But also you're telling Robin, I love you, too, in front of four million people. So that's kind of how it was.
1: (laughs) Welcome to the Gravitron. Right? Yes. Yes. Uh, When the floor drops out. I mean... Look, it was, it was perfectly done. I mean, you've obviously gone back and you've watched it again. And I encourage our listeners to take a look at it as well, because it really is a nice encapsulation of what we're talking about here. But. Ultimately, and this is the thing I think we need to remind ourselves as leaders or experts in a certain area, is when someone turns to you and wants to celebrate your success for a certain reason, even if it is somebody that you've idolized forever and you feel really nervous around, you are the resident expert for the moment. You are the one they're looking to for advice, for leadership, for guidance forward. And that happens every single day in one opportunity or another. And you need to be present in your mind and in your body and in how you're talking to people.
0: So I just saw Taylor Swift with my son in L.A. last week. It was the last night of her U.S. tour. And there is a moment where Taylor, I'm just gonna call her Taylor because we're on first name basis, of course. Um, There's a a (laughs) moment where Taylor- Yeah, I know, Miss Swift, Mademoiselle Swift, um, the, Her Highness, I don't know. But there's a moment when Taylor uh is sitting behind the, the piano and she says, you know, I wrote this song when I didn't know if I was ever going to be able to tour again, the beginning of the pandemic. And I just want to thank all of you for being there for me. And she does this like couple minute speech and then the crowd just starts cheering and the crowd cheers for like a full minute. And she just sits there and she, you can tell she just takes it in and then she takes out her earphone like the little earplugs so you know that you she really can hear you and the crowd screams even louder and then she looks at one section gives a wink and then that section screams even louder for everybody else and then she looks to another section to to her left and that section screams and then she gets up and she and this went on for eight full minutes of her just standing there in a crowd of 70,000 people absorbing their love and taking it as such a gift that we wanted to give her even more of it. And I think a lot of times we don't stand in the center of our excellence. We don't stand and allow people to give us gratitude. And we don't do what you said, which is to know that you are the expert. Nobody in that audience knew whether she wanted to start or not, but she was just, we were just in her hands and we were so happy to be there that it's like, should, like it's kind of been a thing with like the Swifties at every successive concert, people want to cheer longer than the one before. So like it, 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 we just had to like everybody like we were thanking her for the opportunity to thank her. It, it was the most incredible thing I'd, I'd ever seen. But just her presence of just holding the room and holding the space for everyone to feel their emotions. It, it, it was it was a stunning it was a stunning thing. But you can't do that if you don't feel confident that nobody knows what you're going to say or not say knowing that you're just that you're controlling the pace.
1: I love that. Well, um, the book is Wonder Hell. Why success doesn't feel like it should and what to do about it. Laura Gassner-Otting, what's next for you on the big docket here?
0: You know, it's an interesting question because I believe, um, and I know you wanted to spend a few minutes talking through the the towns and we can do that. Um, I, I I I think what's next for me is to really think through how do I move from where I was, which is like book promotion, book promotion, book promotion to sort of ideas in general. So my, you know, my last couple of, my last few years have been promotion of Limitless, writing of Wonder Hell, promotion of Wonder Hell, and now I'm looking at people who have moved into the space where they sort of represent bigger ideas, and their keynotes aren't a keynote about this book or a keynote about that book. They're sort of general ideas. So, you know, what's next for me is working hard on alchemizing a body of work into a new 45-minute keynote that sort of brings it all together, which is exciting and also a little intimidating
1: well, it, it sounds like the definition of Wonderhouse. So let's let's just say, for the sake of argument, that you've you've wandered through Imposter Town already, which is the, the first stop within the amusement park. Um, and now you're at Downsville, it sounds like. Uh, what, what, what do we experience in Doubtsville? Phil?
0: Yeah. So imposter town is funny because it's a place where you're like, I'm not sure if I belong here. I don't really know. But you're working so hard that you and you just sort of hope it works out. And you turn around one day and you go, oh, wow, I didn't realize how far I'd come. Right. And 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 so I feel like I've spent the last few weeks mostly in a little bit of a forced slowdown because my youngest is about to go to college and we're going to be empty nesters. And I just want to grab every single minute of this time where like the mm. sands through the hourglass are just going faster and faster. Yeah. And because I haven't been working as hard in the last few weeks, it's given me some time for that alchemy to happen where I'm I'm realizing that. Once we are running fast, we keep running fast and keep running fast until the fast feels still. And when the fast feels still, then we want to increase the pace so that it feels fast. And we just keep—that's you know the hedonic treadmill—but you know, it, it, not just with things, but with the, the, the we just normalize the pace. And so it doesn't—if it doesn't feel stressful, I don't—we don't feel like we're working so hard. There's almost like this uh, this 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 need for it to be hard for it to be good. And the last couple of weeks had made have made me stop in that moment of doubt and say, okay, well, what if I changed the way that I. Thought thought about these feelings, right? Like I'm in wonder, how about wonder, Hell, doubts feel? It's all about renegotiating our relationship with the actual emotions, like the tsunami of uncertainty and doubt and anxiety and, 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 and that, that come at us in these moments. And so the last couple of weeks have me been asking myself the question of why am I working as hard as I am for achievements that I don't necessarily need in order to, fill goals that I'm not quite sure are still mine, right? And I think that mm-hmm. happens to a lot of us. So for me right now, it's a lot of thinking about, well, now that I'm at this place and I've thrown all the cards up in the air, and they've all landed, which ones do I want to pick up? Which ones are the most meaningful? Which ones yeah. will be the most fulfilling? Which ones will be the most lucrative, right? Which ones matter the most to me right now at this age and at this life stage? And so it's It's sort of that stopping and, and 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 thinking so that I'm not just seeing it as the need to continue running, but more of a strategic path going forward
1: and And really, that is a very personal path for every single one of us. I mean, we all have to find our own way. I mean that's that's actually one of the chapters. I think it's uh, was it the Scrambler?
0: Yes. Yes, in
1: in in doubtsville, um, because we're we're all beset with uh, with doubts, with you know trying to figure out, like I said before, that roadmap. What is our personal roadmap? Managing uncertainty, you know, that's the roller coaster, the classic roller coaster. Talk a little bit about what the trapeze does to us.
0: Yeah, so the trapeze is it's, it's, it's exactly as it sounds. You just imagined it, right? You're flying through the air with the greatest of ease, but don't look down because you might realize that there's not a safety net. And I, what happens here is that there is never a safety net. None of us have a safety net. It's always been an illusion, but there is a moment in time where each of us understand that we are our own safety net. And so the trapeze, it tells the story of to, to a couple of stories of people who, in their own lives, had to realize that they were their own safety net. And my my favorite story in this chapter is uh, is is uh, Sanford Greenberg. So Sandy Greenberg. I was hoping you'd say that. Oh, I, so I love. I he. I mean, he, so Sanford Greenberg is, is is an absolutely incredible human being. He's you know in his 80s now. And so uh, when he was in college, he had um, he went to college Columbia uh, to Columbia University. City from Buffalo, New York, uh, he had 2020 vision when he went to college, and by the time he finished his sophomore year of college, he was legally blind. He, were, he was he was blind zero zero. Uh, he had a doctor who had misdiagnosed glaucoma and had given him eye drops that 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 made him blind. He went back home after his sophomore year to Buffalo, where he was basically told that his only options were to uh, live in the hinterlands of New York and make cane uh, cane chairs with with a. Uh, 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 the old man of the hinterlands of New York, right? This was it. This, is his, this was his, all he was going to get to do or he could go into his father's junk business. Those were his two options. Now, he uh, decided he was not going to go back to Columbia Law School, or sorry, to Columbia University. And he had three people who told him he had to go back. The first was Sandy Hoffman, who interestingly enough is the father of one of my closest friends right now, which is how I found Sandy Greenberg to start with. His uh, girlfriend, who he had fallen madly in love with during a second grade spelling bee, and his college freshman year roommate, Art Garfunkel of Simon and Garfunkel. Now, Art (laughs) Garfunkel at the time had been an architecture student and Art uh, said, uh, Art said, I have to go downtown to uh, draw some buildings for architecture. Sandy, come with me and then we'll go back together. So they went downtown. Art was doing his his art and uh, Sandy was like I got to get back to campus. My reader is going to help me. He's got to read my textbooks to me. I can't. I, I need to get back. And Art said no, no, no. Um, I need to stay and do this to, to draw this building. You go back on your own. And Sandy was was apoplectic. How is he going to get back in New York City? How is he going to get back by himself? So he finally gives up. He starts walking. He's got his cane. He's walking. He's 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 uh, trying to take the subway. He's bumping into people. He gets a bloody uh, you know bloody uh, lip on a light pole. He like falls over a woman. Uh, He's having the hardest time. But he finally, like after an hour and a half, gets himself back to Columbia. And as he walks through the gates, he feels a tap on his shoulders. And the tap on his shoulder is Art Garfunkel, who says, I knew you could do it. And Art was there the whole time. But Sandy had to understand that he had to be his own safety net in this moment. And so we're all I tell the story because we're all handed these 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 situations in our lives that we think are the end or we think are failure we think that they're that's it's the end of the road when in fact it's really just another space for us to understand what we're made of and to figure out what else we can do and for us to rely on the person we've relied on all along which is ourselves
1: yeah. And even though this is a personal journey, it does require the strength of those around us to uh, to hold us up during those times or at least to look out for us.
0: Yes. Which, again, is why goodbye is a gift, because sometimes if you have right. too many of the wrong people in your life, you don't have any space for the right people.
1: Yeah. And and that gets us into burnout city. And I, I, I'm just i kind of choosing my own adventure uh, through here, which I know is how you intended the book, actually. Yes. So um, I'm not covering all of the chapters, but just some of the major sections here. Um, uh, when, when we get into Burnout City, um, I, there, there's one, well, actually, the very opening chapter there is about hustle porn. Mm-hmm. And it's become endemic in society today, uh, where it's almost a badge of honor. You know, to work yourself to death, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, But you take the opposite tack on that. Why?
0: Yeah, I don't want anyone to think that the book that I wrote, where you have succeeded and you find yet another level inside of you, has me telling anyone that they should be bigger, better, faster, more, hustle harder, rise and grind, crush it, lean in. That is definitely not what I'm saying. For those who want to do it, I provide a lens through which you can do it in a humane and sustainable way. For those who don't, I also say, congratulations, that's amazing. Welcome to the, well, well, welcome to the, the, uh, the merry-go-round. It's time to just chill out for a little bit. You can like take a moment, you can breathe, it's all right. Every once in a while, I, you know, I have this newsletter, as you know, that goes out every Tuesday morning, my Hello Truth about the one thing that I know to be true for the week. And uh, every once in a while, I, I miss it. I just miss it. I just I'm busy because I, I try to write it myself every week. It's not a bunch of recycled stuff from years past. And in the beginning, when I would miss it, I would think, oh, God, like my my readers are going to be so upset. And then I realized nobody cares. <laughs> nobody <laughs> is sitting at their computer at one twelve p.m. on a Tuesday, Eastern Standard Time, going, where is Laura's newsletter? It's supposed to be here at one eleven p.m. It's here every... Nobody notices. Nobody cares. Every once in a while, I don't post a photo of my dog, my daily dober on Instagram, and I get some, like, is juniper okay? But nobody misses my newsletter. But I think that we have, we have, uh, you know, we we have, we have spun ourselves up into such a tizzy over our own personal importance that we forget that we're actually not that important and that people don't notice if we're not there. Like you don't, you're not just as good as your last success. People aren't waiting for the next one. Like most people are so focused on themselves that they're not actually focused enough on you to even know that you're not busy hustling. I mean, that's kind of why I like the timeless and timely newsletter, right? I like the pace of it. I like that it's, you know, reaches back into history, that it connects history to present to future, but that it's slow and it takes time and it's wise. It's not just like, let me throw a bunch of stuff at the wall and see what sticks.
1: Yeah. The the anti-hustle newsletter. Um, As a matter of of fact, a few uh, weeks ago, I wrote about the spotlight effect. I don't know if you happen to see that. I know you've been running all over the place, but um, and for those who who haven't, um, there was an experiment that was done where uh, a bunch of students were told to show up at a classroom at a certain time, except for one student. They told this student to go to another classroom. He got to that other classroom. They said, oh, this is the wrong room. Go to the other classroom. And oh, by the way, before you get there, put on this Barry Manilow T-shirt. So he gets in, <laughs> puts the Barry Manilow T-shirt on, shows up at the other classroom. The class had already started. And they walked in a door that would made, have, have made them visible to everyone in the classroom. And the professor says, uh, sorry, you're late. We've already started. You need to go out in the hall. He goes out in the hall and this is where the experiment began. The experiment was to ask the student how he felt going into that classroom, wearing that Barry Mallow t-shirt and asked, um, uh, how many people do you think noticed the shirt? How many people do you think now have a bad impression of you? And what ended up happening is that student's, of self-awareness around or self-consciousness around wearing that shirt and being seen by everyone was markedly higher than what the students in the classroom ranked them as. Yes. And the bottom line is people just aren't paying as much attention to you as you think they are. And I think it is
0: liberating. That,
1: it really is. And that that's the 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 red thread. If I can borrow Tams and Webster's um, phrase and concept uh, from limitless to wonder how that it it is really about charting your own course. Um, Obviously, you have to take in outside information. um, And I think you've got um, a whole section on this in Doubtsville about getting other people's perspectives. But as you say, with uh, Tiffany Bova, she collected feedback, but it was data. It wasn't simply pivoting based on what one person happened to say about you.
0: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I always ask myself, is this person somebody I respect? Do they actually know me? Do they know what my hopes and dreams and goals are? Do they know what mm. my potential is? Mm. Are they basing their opinion on me or are they projecting based on themselves? Right? Mm. Like I ask myself some questions before I... Decide whether or not I'm going to take somebody's feedback. Would I feel great about their approval? If I don't care about their approval, why am I going to listen to their criticism, right? So I ask myself some of these questions, and I think that really helps to determine what's a data point and what's actually advice.
1: That's a great way to discern. Um, And and I would imagine, you know, there's there's no hard and fast rule there. I mean, it's going to be different at at every time, but... You know, that personal uh, Rorschach test you put against it, I think, is really important.
0: Otherwise, we're just reacting. We're ricocheting and it's exhausting.
1: Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. So, um, like all good amusement parks and like the documentary, um, you exit through the gift shop. Yes. So, uh, and, and and you ha- you actually have a section in here called The Souvenir Shop, um, living in Wonderhouse. So what's it like in your souvenir shop, Laura?
0: Ah, well, my souvenir shop is filled with all sorts of super fun quizzes and assessments and courses and all the other things that people like me put out in the world. And also... I hate selling, so I never really run, you know, email funnels and all those things. My souvenir shop is, 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 uh, is stocked full, but is, uh, it doesn't really isn't, – isn't staffed very well, I'm afraid to say.
1: <laughs> well, hey, the good news is people can get key change or, or stuffed animals if they want, uh, metaphorically speaking. But really, I mean, it, I think the, uh, the, the, the lessons that you impart – upon the world here are reflected in how you live your life. You're not just someone who is creating a self-help book and saying, well, good luck, suckers. Uh, You're actually living in Wonder Hill yourself.
0: Yes. So here is my parting gift to people in the souvenir shop. that. If you are in this moment where you're like, yeah, I have succeeded and it's great and also I saw a version of myself that I didn't even know existed or a possibility that I didn't even know was for me, now what? I would say congratulations because Wonder Hell only presents itself to people who are worthy of it. The reason that in – Candidates always leave if they don't get the job is because the very act of interviewing for the job means they have to wear the clothes of that role and speak in the voice of that role and answer questions in the mindset of that role. And once they do, they can't unsee themselves in that new role. But if somebody wasn't imagining themselves in that new role, they wouldn't even go for it in the first place. They'd be very happy and content and complacent where they are. So if you are in this space where you are feeling just you know, your your exquisite feelings of Wonder Hell, I would say congratulations. It's awesome. Welcome to Wonder Hell.
1: Welcome, indeed. Well, Laura, I'm so glad that you have chosen to share this story and, and this wonderful book with the world. Um, where can people find out more about you and connect with you and, of course, purchase the book?
0: So everything about the book, including a quiz you can take to figure out which... Imposter Town, doubtful Burnout City you're in and what ride you're on and what you should do about it can be found at wonderhell.com and there'll be links to buying the book at Amazon, Barnes & Noble through Bookshop, anywhere you buy your your books. Uh, And I'm at com, and I am on all the socials at HeyLGO. So everywhere from Threads to Facebook to Instagram to Peloton you can find me at HeyLGO.
1: Love it. Well, hey, LGO, it's been a pleasure having you on Timeless Leadership again. Come back sometime, won't you?
0: I will. Thank you so much, Scott. It's been so great to talk to you, my friend.
1: Always inspirational to talk with Laura. Well, that'll do it for this episode. I will be back in the next episode, a shorter version with a related discussion related to what we talked about here. And I'll be reading your questions Your feedback, anything you have to send in, just either reply in the comment section on Substack or send me an email at timelesspod at scottmonte.com. Again, timelesspod at scottmonte.com. I'm looking forward to hearing from you, hearing what you think about the show, you think about Laura, maybe what you think about future episodes. So drop a line and let me know. And remember... If your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, you are a leader. Thanks, and I'll see you on the internet.